So this morning, I want to start off our time together um, talking to you or sharing a story about a person whose life could be seen as certainly the first probably 50-some years of his life as one setback after another. Okay, it's almost like his whole life almost was a, like the year 2020, right? Like we just look back at our year and we're like, oh my word, what is going on? There's just setback after setback. And, and um, even at an early age, this person was experiencing setback. So I want to tell you a little bit about his life before telling you who this person is, um, because I think actually this person can be um, an encouragement to us and an inspiration. So when this uh, person was very young, uh, he actually grew up in extreme poverty and at, um, at an early age when he was in elementary school, um, he actually had to drop out of school because he had to help his family. Uh, he grew up in a one-bedroom home. And then when he grew up and got out of high school or got past the high school age, uh, he started a business that went bankrupt at the age of 21. He was defeated in a legislative, leg, I can't even say that word, you got know what I'm saying, a race at the age of 22. Uh, he failed again in business He had this crazy business adventure idea, and he failed at the age of 23. He overcame the death of his wife to typhoid fever at the age of 26. As you can imagine, life was hard for him, and at the age of 27, he had a nervous breakdown. At the age of 32, after he had been remarried and had four kids, three of his kids passed away. He lost again in a congressional race at the age of 34. At the age of 36, he went for it again and lost again in a congressional race. He continued to battle depression over and over and over again. And at the age of 45, he lost a senatorial race. Then at the age of 47, he decided, I'm going to go out for, I'm going to try to become the vice president. Again, he failed. And he lost another senatorial race that year. And it would be easy to look at this person's life and look at the trajectory of all the different things that didn't go right in his life and to say that this person was a definition of one setback after another. It would have been easy for him to even um, have those moments, and I'm sure he had them, where it was like, why don't I just give up? Like, why don't I just stop doing what I'm doing? Because clearly something is not working. But that did not stop him from moving forward with the call that he believed God had on his life. And at the ripe old age of 52, this man became the president of the United States. And his name is Abraham Lincoln. And you could say Abraham Lincoln lived a difficult life. Like I said, you could look at Abraham Lincoln's life and say it was like one big 2020. He wouldn't have understood that back then, but we might understand that a little bit right now. He had all these setbacks. And although we can't necessarily relate to everything that Abraham Lincoln went through, or what he personally experienced. I know that we all have experienced setback in our lives. And as we look back on the last 12 months, it's probably easy for us to quickly identify some things in our life that just didn't go the way we wanted them to go. And my prayer as we work through this text that we're going to look at, and we look into God's word, and we are reflective in our own life, my prayer for you and my prayer for me is that God would be at work in our life And if you could sum up what we are going to talk about this morning in one sentence, if you could walk away with with just one thought, um, this morning it is this, that setbacks are setups. Setbacks in our lives are setups for God to be at work. 
when we go through those hard moments. Because it's not like those setbacks that we've experienced in the last year are just original or brand new to 2020. Like some of them are, but a lot of them we look back in our life and we've had lots of difficulties. And we've had lots of setbacks. And my prayer for us this morning is that we could look into God's word and that we could see that we are not alone. You see, setbacks are all throughout scripture. I mean, that's one of my favorite things about the Bible is that they didn't edit out all the setbacks. They didn't edit out all the things that didn't go right. Like God had this perfect book that he gave us and it is full of setbacks. It's full of stories of people that had setbacks, but it's also full of stories of people that had those setbacks, but God used those setbacks to be a what? A setup for him to work in their life. I mean, think about the Old Testament. Think about the story of Joseph. When God said to him, hey, Joseph, one day you are going to be this great leader over people. And that literally the very next day, his brothers beat him up. They throw him in a pit and they sell him into slavery. Right? I mean, don't you think if you're Joseph, you'd be like, whoa, whoa, Lord, what, this, you just, what? I'm confused, right? Like it just wouldn't make sense. And yet it was a massive setback, but God was at work in his life through the setback. In the midst of the setback, God was working in his life because that was a total setback for him to do an incredible thing for the Lord. Or think about David, right? David, little shepherd boy, David. God says to him, hey, David, one day you're going to be what? The king. One day, David, you are going to be the king. Now go tend to those sheep. Again, David's probably like, whoa, 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 setback, man. What are you talking about, king? And now I'm going to go do the, you know, watch these sheep. And it would have been confusing. And yet God worked through that time that he was a shepherd to speak to David's heart, to prepare him for what he was going to do next. The setup was incredible. Or another day with David, it's like, hey, David, by the way, you're going to go fight that giant, right? Setback, right? Because nobody wanted to go fight the giant, but David's like, okay, fine, I'll go do it. I trust you, Lord. And it became this setup for God to work and to do incredible things. You jump to the New Testament, and there's tons of stories. You know, you look at the story of Lazarus, one of Jesus's friends, like one of his best buddies, like, like one of his guys that he was th- really tight with, and Lazarus dies, and Jesus shows up so late that they're telling him, hey, Jesus, like, like, you know, like, we're not super happy with you either. Like, why are you so late? And the body probably even smelled. I mean, it was just like, there's setback, setback, setback. And Jesus is like, no, 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 trust me. What you think is a setback is actually a setup because watch what's going to happen. And he raises Lazarus from the dead. In a month, we're going to celebrate the birth of Jesus, right? What an incredible celebration. But there's so many setbacks that people look at, and including when Jesus died. And people were freaking out. They didn't know what to do. His disciples were running. They were hiding. And it seemed at the moment like there was this setback. And Jesus, God's like, no, 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 you don't get it, man. I'm going to raise him from the dead, and it's going to be the greatest story ever told in the, earth, in, the, in the history of the world. I'm setting you up. You see, here's the deal. In 1 Corinthians 13, 12, it says this. We only see through a glass that's dim. It's foggy. We don't get to see everything. We only know part of the story, but God knows what? He knows the whole story. He knows the setup. The Bible says that his ways are higher than what? Than our ways. His ways are higher than our ways. We don't have to understand everything that's going on 
with every situation we're in. But we do get the opportunity to believe that through the things that we don't understand, that God is still good, that he's still at work. And I would say he's setting you up and he's setting me up to do an amazing thing in our life. And so as we continue today, I want to do a deeper dive actually back into the Old Testament, into the life of one of the best examples I can think of, of someone that lived a life on purpose. Someone who did not let the setbacks that took place in his life destroy him or the people around him. His name was Nehemiah. And although he certainly was not without faults, I believe his story can offer you and me hope and encouragement in the midst of the setbacks that we are currently facing in life. And so to get us thinking in that direction, I want to first give us a quick recap on Nehemiah's life because I think it's important to understand what took place, what the setback was that took place in his life. And then I want to ask you and me, because we're in this together, a series of four questions. And I hope as we look honestly into Nehemiah's life and as we honestly answer these questions, my prayer is that the answers to the setbacks and to the questions that we're dealing with would give you and me great hope for what God is still going to do in our midst. Because we don't have to be defined by our setbacks. God didn't create us to live that kind of life. He created us to live a life that is set up by him, that is ruled by him, whose voice is the most important voice in our life. So to understand Nehemiah's story, as we look at that just a second, let me, again, let me give you a little context to his story. And I want to take you back to a time in the Middle East when uh, the king Artaxerxes was the supreme ruler of Persia. Artaxerxes, with the help of his dad Xerxes, overtook the people of Jerusalem and the entire expanse of the Jewish territory. Jerusalem was absolutely 100% devastated. Its walls were destroyed, and the Jewish people that were there were enslaved in a foreign land by pagan rulers who wanted nothing to do with God. You talk about a setup, or a setback, sorry. And as the people were in exile and the city was in ruins, Nehemiah was so overcome by grief that he sat and he mourned and he cried for days. And in desperation, Nehemiah did the only thing that he could think about doing. He cried out to God in prayer. In the moment of his setback, he cried out to God with all of his emotions for days in prayer to the Lord. And he didn't just cry out to the Lord. He repented on behalf of the people for forgetting God in the first place. You see, Nehemiah invited God to remember his promises, to draw his people back together, even if they had been scattered because of the setbacks that took place in their life. Another huge thing that Nehemiah did was he took a huge risk. You see, Nehemiah became what's known as the cupbearer to the king, which meant that he was the official wine taster who tested all the wines that were served to the king. Now, how many of you would like that job? You don't have to raise your hand, but I know some of you in this room would probably like that job. But here's the thing. You probably don't want to be the wine, wine guy in this moment because his whole point of being the uh, cupbearer was to make sure that there was no poison in the wine. So if there's poison in the wine, he drinks it, who dies? Not the king, right? And so not as wonderful as you might think it might be, but because of his role as a cupbearer, guess what? He got to know the king. 
The very person that destroyed his people's city, the very person that destroyed the walls of Jerusalem, the very person that caused all this damage and setback in his life, in his people's life, was a person that he got to know. And because of his relationship with the king, he decided, I'm going to call in a favor. And so he went to the king to request that he allow him to return. Think about this. The person that destroyed the walls, he went to that person. He said, I want to ask you for a favor. I want you to allow me to go back to Jerusalem and to rebuild the walls and to rebuild the city. And not only did the king grant Nehemiah's wish, he even made sure that Nehemiah had safe travel to get back to Jerusalem. So Nehemiah goes back to Jerusalem and he gets to see firsthand the ruins And instead of being paralyzed by the destruction, instead of being paralyzed by the fear of what might happen next, Nehemiah systematically began to put together a plan to reconstruct the walls and the gates of Jerusalem in order to fortify the city once again. In a short amount of time and in the midst of a massive setback, Nehemiah accomplished the incredible task of reuniting the Jewish people in Jerusalem And he rebuilt the city walls. And as we close today, and as I mentioned a little while ago, I want to take a look at four, what I want to say, critical questions. Four critical questions that I think will help you and I learn from this story so that we can see God work in and through the setbacks that we have in our own life. And my hope is that in looking at these questions, you and I can be introspective. That we don't just go, oh, those are good questions. Those are interesting questions. That's probably good for the person across the way. No, these questions are for you. These questions are for me. These questions are for you to make personal because I believe that if we're honest about the answers to these questions, God is going to take the setbacks in our life. He's going to take the moments in our life that seem confusing. He's going to take all of that and he's going to say, guess what? Are you going to trust me? And if the answer is yes, he's going to say, now let's go to work. Let's go to work because I can do something with a humble spirit like that. And so the first question I want to look at today, and the first two questions have to do specifically with Nehemiah, but I think they apply to us. And then here's the question. Why was Nehemiah, why was Nehemiah so obsessed with rebuilding these walls that represented a horrific setback that took place in the lives of God's people? Like Nehemiah was obsessed with getting these walls fixed. Why? I want to offer three thoughts. The first thought is this. The broken walls, the broken down walls, represented the pain of the past. The broken down walls that were right in front of Nehemiah that the people were recovering represented not much more than just the fact that there were walls broken down. They represented the pain that the people had gone through in the past. But, and this is the wonderful thing, the rebuilt walls represented a future of hope. Setback, setback, setback. And the more setbacks you have, the more hope fades away. But in this situation, these walls being rebuilt offered hope for the people. The repaired walls were proof that God had not forgotten about his people. Hillcrest, think about it. When we go through hard moments in life, isn't it so easy to cry out and be like, God, where are you right now? Like, what are you doing? Have you forgotten about me? 
The repaired walls, the rebuilt walls were proof to the people that God had not forgotten about them. And I want to encourage you that God has not forgotten about you in the hard moments you're going through. He's not forgotten about us. He's right here with us. Second thought on why Nehemiah was so obsessed was these broken down walls, they symbolized the sin of the people. The broken down walls represented the sin or they symbolized the sin of the people because they had turned away from God during the end of the age of the kings. But the walls that were reconstructed, the walls that were rebuilt, they actually represented and showed evidence of the faithfulness of God as being the king of kings. And the third thought on why Nehemiah was so obsessed with rebuilding these walls is that the broken down walls represented the broken covenant that the people had made with God. But the rebuilt walls represented this renewed covenant of a God that can't stop loving us. Let's go to question two. Again, we're all processing this together. How did Nehemiah respond to the setbacks in his life? So there's crazy setbacks in Nehemiah's life, and I think it's fair for you and me to look at the life of Nehemiah and say, hey, so how did he react? Because maybe there's something you and I can learn from his reaction, and I think there is. Nehemiah and the Jewish people, you know what they did? They chose to give thanks to God. In the midst of their setback, in the, in the end result of their setback, they're able to look their gaze to God and say, God, thank you for what you've done in our life. I'll show you right here in Nehemiah chapter 12, verse 38 through 40 and verse 43. It says this, the other choir of those who gave thanks went to the north and I followed them with half of the people on the wall above the tower of the ovens to the broad wall and above the gate of Ephraim and by the gate of Yeshana and by the fish gate and the tower of Hanel and the tower of the hundred to the sheep gate. And they came to a halt at the gate of the guard. So both choirs of those who gave thanks stood in the house of God, and I and half of the officials with me. And check this out. This is so cool. And they offered great sacrifices that day, and they rejoiced. For God had made them rejoice for great joy, And the women and the children also rejoiced. And check this out, I put a little emphasis here. And the joy of what? And the joy of Jerusalem was heard far, say it with me, away. The joy of Jerusalem, the joy of Jerusalem, because of what God had done, the people celebrated. The Levites and all these, like, they all came together and they had this massive, massive celebration. It was a celebration party where Nehemiah and the people gathered together at the reconstructed walls. They weren't destroyed anymore. They were reconstructed, and they wanted to give thanks to God. They wanted to give thanks to God. And you can call what the Jews were doing here in Jerusalem. It was almost like something like we're going to celebrate, hopefully this week, with Thanksgiving, right? A Thanksgiving feast. That's what they were doing. They were celebrating. They were thankful to God. It was the culmination of so much hard work on the behalf of Nehemiah and the people of Israel because they did not let the setbacks in their life define their future. See, I think that's part of the problem. Is a lot of times we let the setbacks in our life define our future. 
We've already determined that 2020 is the year that we never want to remember. What if God does something in our midst and 2020 is the year of joy, the year where God breaks in and because we're all broken, he's like, okay, now I can work with you. Now I can go to work. I remember going down to Freedom Covenant Church. It's our sister church down in downtown Kansas City. And I remember asking Bruce McGregor about the church. And I said, what's, what's like your favorite thing about like being a pastor here? And he listed a few things, but one of the things that he highlighted was he said, one of my favorite things is I don't ever have to convince people here that they're broken. Because 90% of their church, they're homeless. The other 10% are living off government funding. And so it's like he said, we all, like everybody here knows that they're broken. And he says, you can do a lot of work God can do a lot of work in someone's life when they know that they're broken because they realize their need for him. I think that's the beautiful thing about this story is that how did Nehemiah and the people respond? They gave thanks to God. Hillcrest, may your joy, may your joy here at Hillcrest, may what God does in your life, in my life, may the joy of what he does in our midst be heard from far away. What he does in our life may be heard from far away, just like we see in this text. Now, these last two questions are a little bit more introspective. I want you to hear these words, and I want you to hear these questions. And I don't want you to answer the question for the person next to you. I want you to answer these questions for you. Because we don't want to leave here without God doing some work in our life. And so the third question is this. What walls of destruction do you face right now in your life? What walls of destruction do you face right now in your life? You see, you and I deal with the walls of destruction all the time. Every one of us. And do you feel a little, maybe you might even feel a little bit like the Jews in this story who had been ransacked by an outside force. Maybe it's COVID. Maybe it's an injury. Maybe it's a death that makes you feel like your life is in ruins. Could be a divorce. It could be a job loss could be being bullied at school. There's a lot of things that feel like devastation in our lives. And the reality is that most of us feel helpless in these moments as we stare into the desolation of the ruins around us. Some destruction that happens in our life is not of our own doing. Sometimes we are faced and are having to clean up the ruins of a mess that somebody else has created for us. And those are, not hard, those are not easy moments as well. But if we're honest, there's also those moments in our life where some of the destruction we face is due to our own missteps, bad decisions, or even sinful actions that we partake in. And these ruins are painful because we have no one else to blame but ourselves for the pain and destruction we're dealing with in our life. Regardless of the cause of desolation in your life, my question for you is what are you going to do about those destroyed walls? Are you going to pretend they don't exist? Or are you going to trust God to work in the midst to rebuild those walls? And so here's my last question. Again, introspective. I want you to really think about it. What are you going to do about the setbacks you are facing today? What are you going to do about them? First question was, what walls of destruction are you facing in your life? The second question is a little bit more specific. What are you going to do about the walls of destruction you are facing today? 
It might be difficult to rebuild, but I promise you, Hillcrest, it is worth it. It might be difficult to rebuild those walls, but I promise you, it's worth it. Nehemiah knew this truth, and I want you to know this truth as well today. Because the hope that comes from dealing with your ruins and setbacks is that choosing to rebuild your life opens up the possibilities for living a life on purpose. Let me say that again. Choosing to rebuild your life opens up the possibilities for living a life on purpose. Living a life that God has created us to live. Again, we're not defined by our setbacks. We're defined by who we are in Christ. And for Nehemiah, once the walls were rebuilt, guess what happened? The choirs, they were able to once again sing at the gates and proclaim the praises of God. Once worship was reestablished, the temples could function as the storehouse, able to care for the poor, able to care for the homeless, able to care for the foreigner, able to care for the widow, to function as they were meant to function. The goal for rebuilding the walls was to reestablish a connection to God whereby the people could give thanks to God for all he's done. I believe the same is true for our lives. Maybe the most important part of living a life on purpose in 2020 is working through the setbacks that we're facing and following Jesus wherever he might set us up to move and to live. Hillcrest, as we close and the band comes forward, years from now, people are going to tell a story about your life. Years from now, there's going to be stories told about your life. My question for you and for me is, are we going to allow the setbacks we're going through right now to write the story of our life? Or will we let them be a setup for God to change our life forever? Giving thanks in the midst of the setbacks puts us in a posture where we acknowledge the pain. We don't pretend it's not there. We acknowledge it, but we are hopeful for the blessing and the movement of God in our lives in the midst of the setback. And through this movement, we pray that God, that he might be the joy of our life and that he might move in and through us So that for generations way beyond our life, generations way beyond, the joy of the Lord comes out in your story. That the work of the Lord, as he worked through your setback and through our setback, gets to be part of our story. That we get to point people to him. As we close here, we're going to sing a song. And I want to ask as this song starts and as we sing this song, both online and right here in person, I want to ask that we are just like brutally honest with the Lord about how we're doing. We're singing the song Waymaker. And it's an incredible song. And it's filled with words that you might identify with in your broken life. There are words in this song that you are going to hear. And I want you to just claim those words. Let these words sink down deep into your soul and let God go to work because he is the way maker, right? He's the one that makes the way. I don't make it, you don't make it. He's the one that makes the way. And he's the one that works in the midst of our setbacks so that he can set us up to have a relationship with him 
that we were intended to have all along. So I want to ask you to stand and sing this song, to sing these words out. At home, you can sing at the top of your lungs, or you can just read the lyrics, whatever you want to do. And let God speak to your heart and live a life on purpose because you allow him to work in the midst of your setbacks so he can set you up to have the greatest life you could ever imagine.